Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and I'm joined this week again by Andrew O'Hara. What's up, Andrew? Not too much. Well, but there is stuff that's up in the news this week, and we're going to jump right to it because leaker John Prosser, who, you know, I knew about him and I knew of him, and so I finally just started following him. I followed him on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I watched his YouTube video about the Apple Glass, Yes, which was his big leak this week. He's... He's an interesting guy. He's a, he's curious. His tweets are basically like, "Oh man, made Apple mad again." <laughs> but all right, all there right. are there are a significant number of those tweets. So John Prosser released his YouTube video. There's a link to our article in show notes, and his video is embedded there, so you can read all about it. But he is basically claiming that Apple is releasing their augmented reality glasses. He says, codenamed Apple Glass. Possibly announced at the end of this year, 2020, or in the first quarter of 2021. He says they will cost $499 plus the cost of prescription. So you would could get prescription glasses in Apple Glass. All the data is processed on the iPhone. So whatever the glasses do, it's basically tethered to the phone like the original Apple Watch was tethered to the iPhone. Couldn't do anything on its own, really. It's planned as a one more thing announcement, again, end of this year or early 2021. Available to the public, maybe late 2021, so over a year away, possibly. Uh, again, these are all his claims. And, you know, he also says that he saw the prototype being plastic, not saying that that's the final deal. Both lenses of the glasses will have displays for augmented reality. The user interface is codenamed Starboard, which if you didn't know, the iPhone and iPad kind of home screen layout is codenamed Springboard. And so it's kind of a play on words there. There is no sunglasses version coming out. Well, at launch. Sounds like maybe later. Right. And he said something about a proprietary Apple QR code, possibly. Uh, But probably most importantly, that it would have LiDAR data, like the 2020 iPad Pro uh, that came out earlier this year. Mm -hmm. That's basically all his claims. Again, we have heard rumors about this AR headset this seems like a lot of details to come out this soon. Let me just ask you, first of all, before we get into any specifics, I mean, would you be into something like this? Do you, I don't even know if you wear glasses or contacts, but is this something you'd be into and with a prescription? So no, no to the prescription because I do wear contacts. I really want to get LASIK and just get rid of the whole contacts thing. But for now, I'm on contacts, so I, I, I wouldn't bother springing for a prescription version, especially if this is something that you would eventually have to upgrade, you know, similar to like an Apple watch, you know, every every couple years or something, depending on your preference. So it's like dropping even more cash for something that you have to upgrade like that. And then I really, I feel like we still just need to know more information before I can decide if this is something that I want. Yeah, for sure. A lot of it sounds really cool, but look at the sunglasses version. Is that a whole different version or is it a set of lenses they clip on there? Is that going to look dorky or weird? I mean, I assume Apple is not going to make it look dorky because they spend so much time with the fashion history on the watch. Am I wearing like one version for indoors and a sunglasses version for outdoors? Those kind of things crop up. And then what exactly the biggest things for me, uh, maps are going to be super useful while you're driving or something, but we already are, you know, adding, you know, heads up displays to cars where they're projecting it onto the windshield and you can see kind of an augmented reality experience that way. The QR codes are interesting because we saw actually like a week ago or something, we saw uh, some leaks from iOS 14 that are showing some like conical shaped spherical QR codes that are like Apple proprietary from the, this like Gobi app 
that is included with iOS 14, mm -hmm. a little bit of information there. So I can see that being pretty useful because they have an example of like a Starbucks or something where you walk in and you can like see a QR code. It'll automatically scan it. It'll bring up some sort of, you know, display or something. In the Starbucks instance, you can create a card and start, you know, earning your rewards, but it could bring up um, other information. So it's kind of a neat idea just to be able to look at something and these special QR codes will pull up these augmented reality experiences around you. And John Prosser also said there won't be a camera built in because of the yes. privacy implications, you know, of being able to take a picture. But as you were talking about QR codes, I was thinking an interesting use case might be a version of Apple Pay that uses the QR codes on a point of sale system where you can just look at it mm -hmm. and confirm maybe with a tap on the glass, you know, the handle on the side. And then you just pay and don't even have to bring a device out or touch or try to get near it. They just scan it. Curious how they would do that without a camera. I guess the LiDAR scanner and maybe again, a, a proprietary QR code. You know, that's something you can see QR codes on a lot of point of sale systems right now. Anyway, Publix down here has it. Walmart has the QR code. You're paid by scanning it yeah. uh, for their app. But, but you know, I'm, I'm curious. So the Microsoft AR headset, I remember them debuting this what, maybe four or five years ago on stage, the Microsoft HoloLens, the AR thing. And I just always thought like, this is cumbersome and ridiculous. And the idea of an Apple AR glasses, I'm sure I will feel differently once they announce it, but it feels almost un-Apple-like of a product. You know, I would have think they would have retained doing Wi-Fi routers before they've delved into AR glasses, but... I just don't know what to expect anymore. Google Glass was, you know, something. I had a friend who had one, and he would wear it around. And people honestly hated it. People, every time they saw him, right. like, are you recording right now? Right. And I, it makes sense that Apple is making that such a clear thing. Like, no cameras. But at the same time, how is that LiDAR good enough to scan a QR code? Because based on the you know, demo LiDAR footage captured from an iPad, it is, it is shapes and everything. It's not going to be specific to pick up, you know imagery like that. So how are they scanning QR codes with the glasses with just a LiDAR scanner? Right. But now I do imagine, again, the HoloLens was ridiculous. You know, yeah. even the Google Glass was kind of crazy looking. I imagine Tim Cook comes out on stage wearing them and it doesn't look like any kind of different glasses, just looks like glasses he would normally wear. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh yeah, one more thing, I'm wearing, you know, Apple Glass. So I'm sure <laughs> they'll come up with some, you know, pithy way of announcing it. You realize now every live blog of every Apple event for the next year is going to be like, are those Tim Cook's regular glasses? Do those look thicker to you? I can't tell. Everyone's going to be thinking that every single yeah. Apple event yeah. now until these things are released. But I'm also thinking use case, you know, you said obviously maps and I yep. totally get that. Obviously they would have to have some way of knowing when you are driving because if there was some feature where your text messages or emails... They already have the do not disturb while driving, so they know when you're driving. Well, but you could disable that. Well, sure. And like totally not do it. So I'm curious if there would be some kind of... But they can at least detect it. They could detect it. I'm, I'm just curious if there's going to be some kind of regulatory force enable... You know, because I can't imagine a text message covering an entire eye no. you know, over a lens as far as a safety thing. So I, I'm curious if that would be like a, a forced do not disturb if it detects that you're moving at a certain speed. I just don't think you would ever cover your entire lens. I feel like it would always be a very small thing. And then it's not that different right. from a heads-up display on your windshield or notification in CarPlay, anything like that. I don't think it would ever be that right. intrusive that it would ever block your vision because that would be very detrimental to the user Bad. experience. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> of accidents. So. But I imagine, you know, use case, obviously maps and directions, especially like street view style would be 
interesting. You can see like shopping, you know, if you're looking at things and, you know, product information is coming up, uh, yeah, looking at your Apple sure. card and being able to see like your balance come up, looking at someone's phone and being able to, you know, share contact information with them or something. I don't know. There's a lot of use cases, just depends on how it all kind of works out and if the functionality is there to make up for that $500 price point. I feel like I would still want to try it. Right. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Right. And I'm sure video game developers will come up with some very interesting game applications for it. Maybe. It depends on the displays, though. Depends on how real, you know, the stuff can look through the display, through glass. I mean, Pokemon will be the first to at least right. try it. <laughs> yeah. You know, if they... <laughs> You know, that would have been... Niantic is already all over this. I'm right. Sure. So, yeah, that is true. I don't know how immersive of a game you can make. I'm sure someone will come up with something. Curious if they will, with a company for the prescription. I mean, you can already, like with Warby Parker, mm-hmm. I can get a prescription from my optometrist and literally just scan it and send it to Warby Parker and they send me glasses. So maybe Apple does something like that. They tie into the health app and get your prescription and you can send it and it'll be magical somehow. Right. I would be curious if, you know, with partners like Best Buy or Target, would you be able to go into a Best Buy, slap down an optometrist prescription and order a pair of glasses? Or, you know, do you have to go through Apple directly, maybe? I don't know. There's also the the rumor that John Prosser said that the charging mechanism would basically be a stand that you place the glasses on upside down, and that's how they charge, mm-hmm. wireless charging, like the Apple Watch or something. Which, again, another thing to charge is not necessarily... An attractive idea no. <laughs> right now already no. charging airpods ipad iphone mac but watch yeah but you got to do it some way a couple other things that we had seen on these guys uh we've seen patents on using apple glass to unlock your phone so the idea would be it would authenticate when you put the glasses on it would know that you have them on and you are who you are and then you'd be able to look at your phone and automatically unlock it not having to worry about uh face id and stuff so that could be really great for like you know dealing with right now wearing masks and not being able to easily swipe up your phone and and having to put in your passcode and stuff so that i could potentially see as being helpful um I think shopping and stuff would be good. Again, he self-proclaiming that he has made Apple very mad. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that bears out. You know, I mean, he seems very confident. He was like, you know, the nice thing about leaks is they're either confirmed or they're not. So you'll know if I was telling the truth. He so we'll has see. been very accurate so far. And he has been. And kind of partially to back this up too is, so we did a video around this because of, of course, that's what we do. We do a lot of videos here. So we just did a Apple Glass video where we pull in Prosser's rumors with just a ton of others, like a dozen different sources from the iOS 14 code leaks. We've are, we've seen, you know, he's talking about Starbird as the UI code name. We found that in iOS 13 that was released or that was like kind of rumored from iOS 13 code a while ago. So a lot of what he's saying has been heard before. We've seen it in patents. We've seen it in code. We've seen it from other leaks. We've seen it from Analysts like Ming-Chi Kuo, Ming-Chi Kuo announcing some of these things a while ago, even though he has been very fuzzy on release dates, that's been moving a lot, and Prosser specifically called him out saying he disagreed with his release schedule, because Kuo was saying 2022, Prosser is now saying, I'm pretty sure his tweet said released in March to June 2021. That's right. And then announced end of 2020, beginning 2021? Correct. Okay, so we could, theoretically here... We could see this before the end of the year and then have that nice uh, get ready window, just like with the initial Apple Watch with releasing mid next year. Yeah, which makes total sense. Maybe even, you know, if they do the iPhone announcement late, 
like rumors are saying, the iPhone 12 announcement won't be till like October. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see that as being that one more thing because I believe that's how it went with the Apple Watch. It was yeah. at the end of an iPhone announcement and they teased it October, November or something like that. And then it came out April the following year. Yeah. Do you know how packed that iPhone announcement is going to be if we really do have like two entry-level iPhone 12s, the big and the small, we've got the two Pro models, big and small, we've got new Apple Watches, and then we've got, you know, an Apple Glass announcement in there, let alone if we see anything about uh, an updated HomePod or any of the other hopes that we are kind of wanting to see. That's going to be a busy event. Yeah, and there's been some sales on the HomePod. I know you can get it like for only 200 bucks now, I think, at Best yeah. Buy. Which only two hundred bucks. I understand still two hundred, but down from three fifty. Well, it's a pretty yeah. steep discount. If you have a home kit home, there that is a steal for those. It's great. It makes it so much easier to control your home. Yeah. So home kit, there might even be an updated home pod, maybe even this summer, you know, in the next couple months. True. I'm also curious, I was actually trying to get an iMac for a business, and there are almost no refurb iMacs available through Apple. Uh, except for the iMac Pro, and there's only like that one model. Mm-hmm. And even buying new, uh, some ship times vary. So I'm curious if there'll be an iMac refresh slash HomePod, maybe just via press release in the next two months. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we just finished up the MacBook Pros. Yeah, It's funny, I just did that this morning right before our podcast. Just knocked out our 13-inch high-end MacBook Pro review. So we got that one out of the way. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some iMac's coming down the line. Even an iMac Pro, that's been quite a while since that's been refreshed. So, and also the Apple TV, there were rumors that that would be refreshed mm-hmm. soon. So, we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if the dev conference we saw the updated Apple TV. I know they don't release hardware there, but just announcing we're going to be releasing a new Apple TV to go alongside this or something. Something minor like that. Um because it does sound like it's mainly going to be updated storage and an updated processor, basic stuff, not anything, you know, huge. Yeah, and that's, that's something Apple just throw out, like, at the beginning of the keynote at WWDC. They'll cover, like, the smaller platform first, and we'll say, like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, Apple TV, here's a new feature for, you know, the next version, and also here's new hardware, and that's it. You know, moving on to yeah, exactly. HomePod or something like yeah. that. So. so it's a lot of information from John Prosser at this point. Again, all rumors and speculation, but we will see later this year if we do see a one more thing, Apple Glass. It's the end of some Apple event. So stay tuned to Apple Insider. Check out Andrew's video, which is also in the article. Links to that in the podcast post when it goes up. And if you haven't checked out the beautiful new AppleInsider.com website that's all responsive, you should go check it out. Responsive design. Yes. No more mobile-centric site. Yes, it's great. It looks great. So go to appleinsider.com, click that podcast tab, and you'll see a post for every episode we do and all the links in show notes, the articles we've mentioned, they're all in the post. So I encourage you there, comment. We'd love to interact with you in those forums. And you know, last week we had a bunch of links. Uh, Wesley and I did some shortcuts, and so you can find a bunch of links to those there. Got some great feedback by email and Twitter on that as well. And the week before, Andrew and I had a big HomeKit roundup where we linked a bunch of products. And so check that out as well. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Listen, do you remember your first cell phone? I remember mine. It was a flip phone. I'm embarrassed to say. But you know, all those first phones, you had to get it from one of the big wireless providers years ago. And man, that monthly bill ever since has been a pain. But I discovered another option that gives me that same premium service at a fraction of the cost. I cut my wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. And you save hundreds of dollars a year by switching to Mint Mobile. So if you're looking to save on that wireless bill without sacrificing service, switch to Mint Mobile. 
Mint Mobile offers premium wireless coverage for just 15 bucks a month. And by going online only, they don't have those same costs of the big guys like retail stores and brick and mortar. So Mint Mobile passes those savings to you. Every Mint Mobile plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text and blazing fast LTE. Use the phone you have right now, whatever iPhone you have or Android phone, you can use that phone with any Mint Mobile plan. They send you a SIM card in the mail, you pop it in, and you're good to go. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. So switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless for 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get that SIM card and the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. That's mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. So Apple released new versions of iOS, iPadOS, and tvOS yesterday as you're listening to this that came out Thursday. Again, some of the features that we've already seen in the betas that were released, like the contact tracing API is now a part of that update. Also, mask and face ID updates where it will prompt for your password sooner. You know, disable that face ID if you're wearing a mask outside with greater ease. And so all those updates and also the group FaceTime video feature where you can choose whether or not you want the speaker emphasized in the video or for all the videos to stay the same size as people talk in your group FaceTime. So some interesting updates, grab that update. Really, it just works a lot nicer with mask by presenting the code right away. That works anytime you're doing Face ID, not just um, unlocking your phone, but anytime you're in apps, you're trying to authenticate uh, an app store, purchase something like that. If it detects you're wearing a mask, it'll pop that up, give you your passcode right away. There's also the new option to automatically share your health and other information from your medical ID with emergency services when you uh, place an emergency call. So that is another thing in there and a few bug fixes. Really, this is kind of the API, the the mask support, and that FaceTime prominence toggle uh, are the big features this time around. It's the COVID-19 update. It is. The code this is the quarantine yeah. COVID-19 health update. We have a final topic that we might spend a minute on. And so before we get to that, I do want to mention that you did the 13-inch MacBook Pro review that you just mentioned a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said it's the one to buy. This is true. Yeah. Give us the high-level thoughts. Okay, well, I'm sure people are going to have opinions here because they always do. But honestly, I was not impressed with the entry-level MacBook Pro 13-inch 2020. And if people are not familiar enough with Apple's lineup, the 13-inch MacBook Pro is weird because it actually separated into two different tiers. There is one, and the only way you can like physically tell the difference between these from the outside is one has two Thunderbolt 3 ports and the other has four. But especially right now, there are a ton of differences between the two. So the, the base units, those entry-level tiers, they are pretty much the same as last year. Like there's, there's pretty much no changes. Performance is the same. They're still rocking eighth gen Intel chips. I'm not a fan. I think if you, if you need power, you should go up to the higher end of the 13 inch MacBook Pros, which start off at that 1800 point, or you should go with the MacBook Air. You can add a little bit to that, uh, spec that out a bit. I kind of think that's where people should lie. I really don't think anyone should pick up the entry-level MacBook Pro 13-inch. So in our review that went live today, we're focusing on the upper tier and specifically the highest-end unit in that upper tier, which is the the quad-core i7, I believe, the 2.3 gigahertz i7. 
when you're looking in between the base units and this upper tier, if you try to kind of outfit that base unit, like, oh, I want to add a little bit of extra storage going 8 to 16 gigs, which is where the upper tier starts. And I want to add, uh, you know, double that storage to 512 or something, which is, again, where that upper tier starts, I believe. Just doing that, you're within $200, I think, of that upper tier MacBook Pro. And there's still a ton of differences there and your processor is still slower. If you try to outfit it literally the same, you try to upgrade the processor, upgrade that storage and upgrade the RAM, it's now more expensive than that base unit of the upper tier and you still lose out on a lot of things. So those base units, I just do not recommend. Mm -hmm. The upper tier, you get a 10th gen Intel chip. So if you look at the previous generation, last year's model on the high end, it had a 2.8 gigahertz i7 processor, but it was the eighth gen chip. And now we have a 2.3 gigahertz i7 processor, still quad core, but it it has better performance. We're getting like 25% better performance on these new chips because you're going from an eighth gen to a 10th gen. So it's technically clocked slower, but better performance there. Right. Between the entry level units and the upper tier, you also have faster RAM, 37, 33 megahertz uh, LPDDR4 RAM. So you have faster RAM because the low ends are using DDR3. You can go up to four terabytes of SSD storage. The lower ends, I think, can only do two terabytes. And you can go go up to 60 or uh, 32 gigs of RAM there instead of just 16 on the lower end. Uh, you get the four Thunderbolt 3 ports. You have uh, the new Intel Iris Plus graphics, which can power a 6K display, mm-hmm. uh, like the Pro Display XDR. So there's like a ton of differences there. So even if you did outfit the lower end unit to match the bigger ones, you're going to be paying more money, slower RAM, slower older processors not as good graphics it just doesn't make any sense so i think for most people if they if they want a little bit of extra power they should go 100 percent for those upper level 13 inch macbook pros and i'm already seeing comments coming in from people on the youtube video saying oh at that price you might as well buy the 16 inch macbook pro and honestly that is a good solution or maybe a refurbished uh 16 inch macbook pro but you have to decide which one you want as far as portability goes if you want the size of the 13 inch or you want the size of the 16 inch some people want that size of the 13 inch i kind of have a nice you know display in my studio i don't necessarily need a 16 inch on the go all the time maybe i want that smaller display i'm honestly perfect with my uh, 12.9 inch iPad Pro. Right. So going up to carrying around a 60 inch, depending on what you're doing, just may be uh, intolerable. I feel like people would rather have that 13 inch if they want the portability, but also want some power. You may be paying a little bit extra, but you're paying for that portability there. Yeah, and I would say the 13 inch, I love the 13 inch MacBook Pro size, just the portability, but you can still power it. I have the 16 inch MacBook Pro, which again, it's a big machine. Like, don't get me wrong. The reason I went with it was for the graphics performance because this is kind of my main machine. So if I want to do 4K video editing or sometimes I do some live production video using like a pro video player and different streams of 4K powering multiple displays, Mm -hmm. I wanted the graphics power of the 16-inch, which you can only get in the 16-inch with the uh, dedicated graphics card. So, you know, if you're looking for that and if it's your main laptop and you don't have a desktop, you know, the 16 inch might be a better solution. But for the 13 inch, like you're saying, number one, the importance of having four Thunderbolt 3 ports as opposed to just two. Let me tell you, I cannot tell you the amount of times that it has come not only in handy, but really needed. Assume you're going to have power plugged in and you have, you know, a USB stick or maybe you need to plug into Ethernet. If you only have two ports, like you're done. My situation right now 
I'm plugged into power. I have an audio interface plugged in and Ethernet. And just that simple setup, you know, you don't want to have to have a dock or a hub. And I have those too. And actually, I just like ran into it today. My hub doesn't have Ethernet. You know, you can get some USB-C hubs that have Ethernet built in and some not. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have the right hub, you might be up a creek. You might not be able to (sighs) plug in the Ethernet cable or plug in the HDMI cable. So let me, I would just agree with your assessment. Get that higher tier 13-inch MacBook Pro. Get the four Thunderbolt 3 ports. And again, you might just like the size. For me, I have my 11-inch iPad Pro, which is kind of like my portable deal. Mm -hmm. And so I treat my 16-inch as my desk machine. You know, if I'm going to sit down and edit something, I'm just going to, I'm at a desk. You know, I can use it in a coffee shop. I'm probably not going to use it on a plane tray table when we fly again one day uh, or something like that. So, but yes, base level, you should definitely go with that higher end. Get the 10th generation Intel Core processor. Get the four US or Thunderbolt 3 ports. Like, you want that. You want that version. Exactly. Um, Another thing that I know people are going to be wondering about, again, something I've already seen the comments coming in on, is any thermal throttling issues here, especially on those upper end uh, i7 units. I'm not seeing anything that's going to be problematic here. I'm able to keep running Cinebench, so we'll run the Cinebench benchmark. It really will tax the processor there. And while I'm running this back to back to back to back to back, not even giving it a chance to cool down in between runs, I can monitor the CPU CPU frequency as well as our internal temperatures and it has no problem maintaining that 2.3 gigahertz pro, um, you know speed that frequency over an extended period of time I can run this test countless times back to back to back to back and it, it is staying there I am not seeing it thermal throttling and pulling that uh, speed down below that advertised uh, speed so I'm not seeing anything that's cause for alarm that's going to be give you issues when you're exporting a video or something and that speed drops down to a lower one which is I know what people are worried about I'm not seeing that here so I feel very comfortable recommending this machine so our last topic for today Andrew and I are not going to try we're going to try and not get too worked up <laughs> we're going to try and not get too mad about it <sighs> but this this news came out and so Joe Rogan if you don't know who he is, I mean, he is one of the top podcasts and radio shows in the country. Pretty sure it's number one on like yeah. all platforms, or at least most platforms, right. or the top one or two. Very popular. And you know, if you have not heard of Joe Rogan, or you're like, I've never listened to an episode, you're probably under the age of thir- <laughs> 30 or 40, uh, which I get it. Like, I have not really listened to a lot of his shows. I've seen clips of him on YouTube, but he is extremely popular, I think, 40 plus. Um, obviously, he's number one show. So the announcement came out that he is going to take his show, The Joe Rogan Experience, to a Spotify-exclusive deal, meaning that come September 1, that it will be going to Spotify, and it will be available on Spotify, and then by the end of the year, it will be unavailable anywhere else. So if you want to listen to The Joe Rogan Experience, you cannot do it in the Apple Podcasts app. Or Overcast or Pocket Cast. Or Google Podcast or through an RSS feed. Right. Nowhere. It is becoming a Spotify exclusive. Uh, and he's and they say YouTube, which, again, that's going to be hard to police. They said only clips will go to YouTube, but the full podcast right. will only be available through Spotify. So this goes into the idea of platform exclusive or specific shows. And, you know, there was the service Luminary, still exists. You know, they really tried to make a play for listen to your podcast in our app and you'll also get the exclusive podcasts. So they made that play. Spotify has been trying to do it. I think they've had a couple exclusive shows up to this point, but nothing to the level of popularity as, as Joe Rogan. 
And if you love podcasts, I mean, you're listening to this. This is a podcast, so I'm this sure you like them to podcast. some extent. <laughs> this is a podcast. I love podcasts, and one of the great thing about them is the open standard they're built on, which is RSS, and you can listen to them anywhere. You can take that feed and do whatever you want with it. And yes, there are some challenges because it's so open, like analytics. There's no real way to know how long into an episode you've listened or if you skip the ad spots. And there's no way to go back and reinsert an ad into a past episode easily, you know, without creating a whole new file and uploading and all that kind of stuff. So the benefit of going to a single platform, and this was the pitch that Luminary tried to make, is listen, if your podcast is, you know, exclusively in this app, you get all that data. You know, they can see, oh, you've only listened to three quarters of the podcast, or you've only listened to the first five minutes. And they can do something called dynamic ad insertion, meaning that whenever you listen to it, if they want to put a new ad in it, then that ad launches tomorrow. Whether you're listening to an old episode or a new one, everyone is hearing that latest ad and they're dynamically inserting it into the show uh, that you're listening to. Personally, whatever benefit those things bring, I am against the idea of these platform-locked shows. It kind of breaks down the entire nature and beauty of podcasting. I mean, I can look at our analytics for this show or any of the shows that I do, and I can tell you people listen in a wide variety of apps and services. Some people like to listen on the web. Some people listen in Apple Podcasts. Some people like to use Overcast or Pocket Cast or Castro, all those kinds of things. I'm looking at it right now, and there's an overwhelmingly amount of you listen in Apple Podcasts, but there's also a big chunk in Overcast, some in iTunes and all that kind of stuff. This kind of practice sets a precedent where that wouldn't be possible anymore. You could not listen in an app that you choose or how you would choose. And it would also be not invasive, but it's definitely a way to grab more user data. And so again, I understand why, plus money, I mean, Joe Rogan is getting whatever this deal was. Like a hundred million is it, it is rumored to be like a hundred million dollar deal. A hundred million dollar deal. So yeah, money. I am in favor of saying, listen, Joe Rogan or someone else, make your show exclusively paid before you make it an exclusive platform available show. I would say, you know, if you are that popular, your audience is that committed then ask them to pay for the show before you lock it into an app or a platform and you can't get it where you want it. Someone might make the argument like, well, YouTube is, you know, those videos are only in YouTube. Like, yes, but not only does YouTube put apps everywhere, you can also watch a YouTube video in the web, the open web without logging into your Google account and without doing all that stuff. You can just watch it in a web browser. And I think this is setting a precedent and hopefully other shows do not go this direction, but it is starting this precedent of the benefit and what you want to do with a podcast is make it a platform exclusive for all these benefits and basically screw the user is kind of the message that it sends to me anyway. Tell me your thoughts, Andrew. <laughs> well, I will keep it family friendly because my immediately my immediate thoughts are not exactly family friendly. I'm very annoyed by this. I think it's insane. I hate the trajectory that we're on. I hate the precedence that this sets 
for other podcasts. I know Spotify has been working towards this for a long time. Uh, if anyone didn't know and hasn't been following uh, Spotify's kind of foray into this, uh, about a year ago, I believe they bought Gimlet Media. They were known for yep. Homecoming, which was a huge podcast, which even then became a TV show on Amazon. So they went and did that. They bought another um, like a crime and mystery network that I can't remember what it's called at the time being. And then they also bought Anchor. Anchor was announced at the same time as Gimlet yep. Media, which is a podcast creation tool. So now they own the platform that it's on, the tools to create it. They own the production companies like Gimlet Media, now they're buying a podcast that are incredibly popular, like Joe Rogan's podcast, and they own uh, you know the ads that are being played there. This is huge for them because unlike streaming music, where they have to pay every time that someone listens to a song, they're actually making money every time someone listens to a podcast because of those ads that they're putting in. So it's incredibly lucrative for them to do this, but it's setting such a bad precedent. It's so icky almost is just i get just a terrible feeling about this and say what you want about apple's policies on the app store and everything like that they seem to understand podcasts they are not buying up podcasts and making them apple exclusives they are not um you know they have been open to so many podcast apps on the app store incredible ones like overcast they're you know promoting like crazy uh you know they're adding uh, supporting features like carplay on those third-party apps as they get updated uh they have not really done too much with the stock podcast app they've let it exist and update it incrementally but they're really letting people use other podcast apps and keeping it open and free like podcasts should be and i just hate the way that this is going and uh I mean, I'm not going to bother with it. I'm not downloading Spotify for this. I'm just not going to listen to Joe Rogan's podcast other than clips on YouTube will be probably all that I will consume you know, going forward. Not some righteous stance that I'm trying to make, but I'm just not going to download and deal with Spotify just for you know a single podcast like this. And also, again, the, the beauty of podcasting is like if you wanted to start a podcast, you know, I've had friends say, you know, what do you think about Anchor? And one of my hesitations had been before they were even bought by Spotify was this platform is really locking your content into itself and getting it out and moving it is going to be difficult. And, you know, who knows what will happen to Anchor in the future? Again, it's been bought by Spotify, so it tells you what happened there. Mm -hmm. But the great thing about building your own website, just like making your own podcast is you can just pay for server hosting somewhere. That's basically it. And get a domain and you can have a podcast. You know, even if you don't use one of the platforms specifically made for podcasting, you can open up a text file on your Mac, make an XML feed, and upload it, upload your MP3, and, like, you have a podcast. That's it. It's so easy. It's easy. It's open. And if you wanted to move it, you know, I, we have uh, our podcast in one platform, but if I wanted to move it, that platform makes it very easy to just, like, all right, just move your stuff. Put your XML file somewhere else. You can move your MP3 files and that's all you have to do. And when you lock into a platform like this, you know, it's one of those double-edged swords where if you want your video content to be seen by people, you have to put it on YouTube. Yes, there are other alternatives like Vimeo exists out there, but its use case is not for just people to find your stuff. If you want people to watch your video, you have to go to YouTube for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. If you ask many YouTube creators, especially when it comes to the monetization choices that YouTube makes <laughs> kind of willy-nilly, yeah. uh, it's frustrating because they have to use this platform in order for their videos to be seen and to have some kind of revenue 
from what they're creating. The beautiful thing about podcasts is it is not that. It is not that yet. You don't have to put your podcast on a specific platform for it to be heard or for it to be listened to. You can just put it out on the open web and someone on their Android phone in Google Podcasts can find it. Someone browsing an Overcast can find it. Someone browsing the web can find wherever you are hosting that website and just listen to it right there without even subscribing or downloading the episode. And as this kind of mergers and exclusive deals happen, it might move podcasting to that same place where YouTube is, where if you want to make anything from a video, you have to put it on YouTube. There is not really another option. And I don't want that to happen to podcasting because it is actually succeeding in its open form right now. Yeah. There's been many people that have said this is the golden age of podcasting. And listen, podcast has been around for a long time. I mean, if you followed This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte, I mean, he's been doing it for what, like 20 <sighs> years maybe? And even before that, you know, podcasts were part of iTunes and this weird thing that only a few people knew about, but it existed. And the beautiful thing is it's the same thing now. It's an RSS feed with MP3 files. And there's better services and better platforms to do it that don't make it exclusive to a platform. You know, there's ways to do it that, that you can... It can still be open and available to people. So Joe Rogan, I have nothing against him personally, whatever, but this direction that it is taking the podcasting industry into this exclusive deals, it doesn't bode well in my mind. And I would much prefer it stay open like it has been for ever. Yeah. Um, one thing I did, I remember when I was looking at the announcement and also the, the amount of hate <laughs> that was listed below it, um, one thing people seem to be mildly confused on is while it's moving to Spotify, it is still free. So you don't have to pay. You don't have to be a paying right. Spotify member to, to listen to Joe Rogan podcast when it does become exclusive. But this is another shady thing about, you know, Spotify is they're basically double dipping because there's, you're still getting ads even on like the paid version of that. So they're getting, they're serving ads on this stuff, whether or not you're paying them or not. So uh, nothing you can kind of get around there by paying. Well, for those of you listening to this podcast, I assume because you like podcasts, let us know what you think either about this deal or podcasting in general. Let us know about what you think of this show. We would love to interact with you. More of you have been tweeting and, and emailing us, and we really appreciate that feedback. Love to hear some topics you'd like to hear about, maybe some questions that we could answer on the show. Tweet at us. Andrew and my Twitter handles are in the show notes and in the podcast post. If you want links to any of the articles we talked about, Andrew's video, the MacBook Pro 13-inch review, or his video on Apple Glass, and John Prosser's video as well, go to the links in show notes and go to the post on appleinsider.com. You can find it all there. And a couple of you have given us some five-star ratings and comments in Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. And if more of you could do it, uh, we thank you taking the time to give us that five-star and comment rating. We appreciate that too. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll catch you next time.